How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. I know I traditionally start these things off with some kind of a joke or a goof or something, but I thought today we'd mix it up a little bit and I'd instead go with a film recommendation. Because one, I can't think of any jokes or goofs, and B, I have a new favorite movie. It's one that I'd been meaning to see a while, but I let myself put it off because it's a little over three hours long, and it is an Indian film that is predominantly in Telugu, Although it is partly about colonialism, and as such, there is some English spoken in it. But if I'm watching a foreign language film that has subtitles, then that means that I can't multitask it and I have to put my phone down and stuff, so it just seems like more of a commitment. So I put it off a little while. And you guys, I am fucking kicking myself for that. Because, look, is RRR the best movie that's ever been made? Probably. Is it the most awesome movie that's ever been made? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. It's got really cool martial arts and action scenes and dancing and friendship and love and really evil bad guys and a fight scene where a guy throws a leopard at people and another guy punches out a tiger. And that's not even the best fight scene. Anyway. It's on Netflix right now. It's called RRR, or Rise, Roar, Revolt. And if you haven't seen it already, then you should go and stop listening to this podcast and go watch it right now. Because I think we put a pretty good show together, but neither Corey or I punches out a tiger at any point in this podcast. So if you just want to pause the show and finish listening to it later after you've seen RRR, I totally endorse that decision. Actually, wait, you should probably listen to this first, that way we won't suffer from comparison. Alright, well, let's get this show over with so you can go see that movie. Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is yet another issue-specific synopsis rhyme submitted by Brad Reed. Thanks, Brad! The elf with a gun went and shot the defenders, which sent them beyond like dimension transcenders. This tale's a bizarre one that merits a chef's kiss. Who needs to make sense? You have a synopsis. Synopsis? Thanks, Brad. Defenders, number 123, September 1983, of Elves and Androids. Written by J.M. DeMattius, drawn by Don Perlin, inked by Kim DeMolder, lettered by Janice Chiang, colored by Christy Scheel, and edited by Carl Potts. Defensive lineup Valkyrie, Gargoyle, Beast, Iceman, Doctor Strange, 
The Incredible Hulk, Namor the Submariner, The Silver Surfer, Scarlet Witch, The Vision, and Moon Dragon. Previously in the Defenders, former X-Man, former champion, and current accounting student Bobby Drake, aka Iceman, swung by the Defenders Brownstone to visit his old buddy Beast. Bobby and Hank bonded by engaging in some boisterous banter whilst watching Gargoyle take a bath. Iceman ended up having his pick of several guest rooms as his arrival coincided with the departure of several Defenders mainstays. Devil Daddy Dugada, Son of Satan, and cat-costumed crime fighter Hellcat announced their engagement and left the Defenders to go plan their wedding. Bye, Son of Satan. Bye, Hellcat. Patsy's departure sparked some soul-searching for her best pal, Valkyrie, so when Odin popped by and mentioned that he could use a hand, the sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger leapt at the opportunity to distract herself with a visit to Asgard. Bye, Valkyrie! And after being stood up one too many times, Beast's rad librarian girlfriend, Vera Cantor, finally decided that she was tired of Hank's hijinks and told the hirsute hero that they were history. Bye, Vera! Vera's departure started Hank thinking about some other changes he'd like to make in his life. Namely, he'd like the Defenders to be more like an airship and less like a blimp. Which is to say he'd like it to have a more rigid internal structure. Dirigible metaphors aside, Beast thought it would be in the gang's best interest if they dropped the conceit of being a nominal non-team, got organized, and had a clearly defined leader. Namely, him. In other Defenders news, a mysterious group calling themselves the Tribunal, who live in one of those weirdo dimensions filled with stalagmites and geometry, decided, based on information gathered by an amnesiac robot nurse named Luann Bloom, that the Defenders posed an existential threat to humanity. One of the Tribunal's operatives, a gun-wielding elf known as Elf with a Gun, tricked the Hulk, Namor, and Silver Surfer into meeting Steve in his Sanctum Sanctimonious. Once the heroes were all in one place, the diminutive Death Dealer fired his eponymous weapon, which blasted the confused quartet of original Defenders into a strange ethereal realm. Also, Beast adopted an adorable puppy named Sassafras. Gadzooks! Will we ever encounter another character as obnoxious as Elf with a Gun? How will Beast begin to implement his intended restructuring of the Defenders? And who's a good girl? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so surprisingly, yes. Elf with a Gun's clone. Elf with a gun. He spearheads an unsuccessful recruiting drive. And Sassafras. Sassafras is a good girl. Yes, she is. Elf with a gun sits in front of a fancy pants high-tech monitor and breaks the fourth wall by directly addressing the readers, monster at the end of this book style. He tells us to turn the page, and I did, but, and I can't emphasize this enough, I did it because I wanted to, not because he told me to because he is not the boss of me. When, of our own volition, we do turn the page, we see that Steve, Namor, the Hulk, and the Silver Surfer are tumbling through a strange dimension filled with ethereal, nearly translucent images of people from disparate historical eras, from cavemen to cowboys to medieval knights to pharaohs. 
the foursome of heroes is understandably confused. On his monitor, Elf with a Gun watches the disoriented defenders with no small sense of sadistic satisfaction. A second Elf with a Gun teleports in to watch the proceedings and help gloat. The Luan Bloom bot is like, Beep boop, now that I know I'm a robot, I can see that the defenders are rad and you are assholes. One of the guys from the tribunal, who is trying to watch the monitor, addresses the elves with guns and is like, Time agent number 3127.9? Time agent number 3.127.10? Shut the fuck up and turn off that Luan bot or I'll send you down to the genetic pool and have you melted down. Harsh. The elves apologize, and one of them hits the off switch on the Luan bot, which was apparently on her butt. As their underlings carry the defunct, recently amnesiac robot from the courtroom, the tribunal continues to watch the OG defenders flounder helplessly in the realm of spectral anachronisms. Meanwhile, Beast, Iceman, and Gargoyle are taking a borrowed Avengers Quinjet out for a spin. As Gargoyle sits in the back seat, quietly reading a Henry Miller book, Bobby is like, I don't think I should be your co-pilot. I already told you I've never even been in a jet before. Beast looks up briefly from the fan mail he's been reading in the pilot chair, and is like, Huh? Oh, I'm sure you'll be fine. Bobby is not fine. When Hank finds a particularly interesting piece of correspondence, he lets go of the wheel and Bobby loses control of the plane, which starts plummeting towards the ground. Hank manages to barely prevent the jet from crashing, but it is still a much rougher landing than anyone had been anticipating. As the trio of turbulence-tossed defenders exits the plane, Beast is like, What the fuck, Bobby? Why didn't you tell me you couldn't fly a jet? Damn it, Hank! One, he did tell you, and B, this is 1983. There won't be a fictional character named Iceman who is great at flying jets for another three years. Hank and Bobby squabble for a little while, until Gargoyle grabs the former X-Men by the shoulders and is like, Ixnay on the Iding Fay, guys. We've got company. Bobby is like, What? Are you doing incantations again? If you've bartered my soul away in exchange for economics incentives for your hometown, I am going to be pretty peeved. Hank is better versed in Latin, be it pig or otherwise, than his frigid friend, and looks up to see a group of young children approaching the hastily grounded vehicle. The kids recognize Beast from his days with the Defenders, and think that Gargoyle looks metal as hell. One of them approaches Bobby and is like, Hey mister, your pals are obviously superheroes. Are you somebody cool too? Bobby is like, Oh, you want to see cool? Well, tell you what, little kid. How about I take off my clothes and show you something really cool? Um... Bobby freezes the clothes off of his body and shatters them, transforming himself into his iced-up superhero state. Then he zooms around the neighborhood on slides of ice that he forms out of thin air. Perhaps due to his unfortunately phrased opening banter, the children seem unimpressed with Bobby. Relieved, maybe but still unimpressed. Nor are these neighborhood children the only ones who are less than thrilled with Iceman's antics. The homeowner whose lawn the Defenders have landed on emerges from her house and zaps Bobby out of the air with a hex bolt. Hex bolt? That's right! It's Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch! Hooray! 
After she's done knocking him out of the sky, Wanda recognizes Bobby. The Vision, Wanda's robot man husband, pops out of the house to greet their visitors. It turns out that Beast had invited himself and his pals over to Wanda and Vision's house for a big dinner. Man, between that and Bobby disrobing as a way of introducing himself, I'm getting the distinct impression that the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters was not a finishing school. Meanwhile, in a house just down the street from Wanda and Vision's, a cloud of vapor wafts into an attic window. Once inside, the mist congeals into the form of a freckle-faced teenage girl. With the exception of a small cloud of mist which remains covering her breasts and crotch, the young lady is naked. There are two women who are already inside the attic waiting for her. One is an old lady wearing a hooded robe. The other is a woman in her mid-thirties, probably, wearing a nightgown. The mostly naked teen is like, Well, looks like we got trouble. The nightgown lady is like, Yes, Cloud, I just read your mind and saw that three more superheroes are visiting the Scarlet Witch and the Vision. That might hinder our plans to kidnap the Vision for our bosses in the criminal organization known as the Secret Empire. The old lady is like, Who gives a shit, Seraph? I'm sick of your exposition. I think we should just murder them all because I'm a jerk. The nightgown lady, who it turns out is named Seraph, is like, Shut up, Herodin. We're not supposed to murder anyone unless we absolutely have to. The old lady, who I guess is named Herodin, is like, But I like to murder. I'll use my superpowers to suck out your life force and make you get super old real fast. Seraph is like, Nuh-uh, I'll use my superpowers on you to dope you up and make you all blissed out. Herodin gets a dopey blissed out look on her face and lies down. Cloud is like, knock it off you guys or I'll use my powers to, I don't know, turn into a cloud I guess? Anyway, let's go kidnap the Vision, okay? The other two ladies agree that that does indeed sound like a good idea. Meanwhile, Steve, Namor, the Hulk, and the Silver Surfer are still drifting through that weird history ghost dimension that they're stuck in when they see someone they recognize waving at them from a floating rock formation. It's Elf with a gun. With a mighty leap, Namor grabs the elf by the throat and starts choking the shit out of him. Hooray! The elf is like, If you murder me, you'll be stuck here forever! The Prince of Abslantis thinks for a minute about whether killing the elf would be worth being stuck in a ghost dimension with Steve for the rest of eternity, then reluctantly puts the elf down. The rest of the gang thinks that Namor made the right decision, but also seems a little disappointed that the elf gets to live. Steve is like, Little man, why did you banish us to this land of regular-sized ghosts that are neither made of flames nor nasty? The elf is like, Look, Pervo, they're not ghosts. They're more like the echoes of past, present, and future beings. Because this comic takes place during the year or so in the early 80s when the Hulk had Bruce Banner's intelligence and talked like a big old nerd, the Hulk is like, Ah, it would appear that our diminutive abductor is transporting us through a dimensional limbo where timelines intersect. The elf with a gun is like, I mean, kinda, but not really. You'll see. Namor is like, this is stupid, and I hate it. 
Elf with a gun is like, you're stupid and I hate you. Namor reconsiders his decision not to kill the elf. Elf with a gun is like, what we're doing is traveling through time. Here's a shortcut. He hops off the floating rock formation and onto a slide that has just appeared. Reluctantly, the heroes follow him. Meanwhile, in Asgard, Valkyrie is hanging out with Odin in his throne room. Odin is like, So I felt bad about how I forsook you for a couple thousand years or so, so I thought I'd make it up to you by asking you to do me a big favor. Val is like, Soundeth good to me, big guy. What you got? Odin is like, It's a special problem that only you can help me with. I think it's better if you see for yourself. The Allfather takes Valkyrie down a hallway and leads her to a room where a pretty bald lady in a green one-piece bathing suit with a high Dracula collar is sitting regally on a sofa. Why, it's everybody's favorite telepathic space ninja who once went by the name Madame McEvil, Moondragon! Hooray! Back in the suburban home of Wanda and the Vision, the gang is just finishing up a huge meal that Vision has prepared. Bobby is like, Thanks so much, guys. Hey, Wanda, remember how when me and Hank were in the X-Men, we used to fight you and your dad Magneto all the time? Wait, is Magneto still your dad? Wanda is like, I think so? For this week, anyway. The Maximoff family tree doesn't so much branch as it does occasionally blink in and out of existence and then reappear in different locations with new names written on it. As Bobby and Wanda reminisce about all the times they tried to kill each other, Hank lends Vision a hand with the dishes. As he scrubs an enormous pile of plates, Beast is like, So, Vision, you and Wanda have been retired from superheroing for, what is it, two weeks now? Ever miss it? Vision is like, No. Beast is like, Really? Not even a little? You don't want to, oh, I don't know, join a group of superheroes that has been around for a long time, but was a secret for most of that time, then had a documentary made about them and got a whole bunch of new members, but fired most of them, and saved the world a bunch of times even though they were super disorganized and didn't even consider themselves a team, but now they have a new leader who wants them to have more structure and be a regular team after all? The Vision is like, That is an extremely specific hypothetical scenario, but the answer is still no. Wanda and I just want to be left alone. Beast is like, Really? Not even if said hypothetical team's new leader had blue fur and a name that rhymed with Frank? The Vision is like, No. This awkward conversation is interrupted by a loud whooshing sound coming from the dining room. Vision and Beast rush in to investigate and are surprised to find that the room is filling with a dense fog. Wanda shoots a hex bolt at the fog, and the fog screams in pain and coalesces into Cloud, the mostly naked teenager that we last saw in the attic up the street. The gang is understandably surprised by this turn of events, but has little time to process it, as Cloud's companions, Seraph and Harridan, show up as well and start attacking everyone. Harridan shoots Gargoyle in the back with a blast from a high-tech walking stick she calls her Death Staff. Iceman responds by freezing both Seraph and Harridan into a big block of ice, but the two women burst out after a few seconds and go on the offensive again. Harridan starts draining the life out of Beast and Iceman, 
while Seraph goes after the vision. Cloud is back on her feet again and changes into a dense smoke which surrounds Wanda. Vision struggles against Seraph, but eventually succumbs to her attempts to dope him up with psychic good vibes. Blissed out on telepathic goofballs, the suburban synthesoid passes the fuck out. Seraph slings Vision over her shoulder and is like, Cloud, Harridan, our mission is over. Let's get out of here. But Harridan is like, Fuck that! I'm pretty close to killing these two mutants, and I'm fixing to finish the job. <laughs> Seraph and Cloud are sick of Harridan's shit and try to pull the sadistic senior citizen off of Bobby and Hank. Harridan is like, No! If I stop murdering them, they'll get better and won't die! Seraph is like, Yeah, that's the point. We told you. No more murder. Harridan is like, Ah, but I wanna! The debate is interrupted by Gargoyle, who is like, if you want to try sucking the life out of someone, why don't you try sucking me? Sorry, that came out a little creepy. In my defense, I've been reading a lot of Henry Miller lately. Harridan ignores the inadvertent double entendre and does indeed try to use her powers to suck the life out of Gargoyle. The only problem is, Gargoyle's body is immortal. Harridan's attempt to drain the mortality from someone who isn't mortal causes a powerful backlash that knocks out not only Harridan, but Seraph and Cloud as well. Hooray! The rest of the heroes slowly regain consciousness and, after thanking Gargoyle for rescuing them, head out to turn their three prisoners over to S.H.I.E.L.D. for questioning. While Beast and his pals are celebrating their narrow victory over a naked teenager, an elderly woman, and a hippie, Steve and the rest of the OG Defenders are finally arriving at the bottom of the time slide which Elf with a Gun has led them down. They gaze in horror at the vista before them. No one says a word. Possibly because they are stunned by the desolation of the landscape in front of them, but maybe because their voices are sore from how much they were all just yelling, Wee! Because yeah, it was a time slide, but still a slide. Anyway, the scene that they're all looking at in horror is, as I implied, a desolate barren landscape. Elf with a gun is like, Here's the thing, assholes. This place you're looking at is Earth in the mid-24th century. And the reason it looks all shitty and apocalyptic is because of you. To be continued. So the planet isn't uninhabitable until 2350 or so? Oh, J.M. Demetrius, you starry-eyed optimist. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Cory. Cory! What are you reading? <laughs> Cory, what do you think about when you can't fall asleep? Oh, I think about how important it is that I fall asleep. Oh, and I would assume that works really well. Puts you out like a light, right? Uh, no, no, no. It's the opposite. I get mm. stressed out that I can't sleep, and then I, then I don't sleep that much. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, What do you think about? Um, I usually fall asleep listening to podcasts, and then sometimes that leads to me having dreams that I'm a guest on that podcast. And I get very frustrated because they're not leaving me any space to talk. Oh, no. Yeah. These are... Well, I hate to not leave you space. But... <laughs> well done. 
Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't think of a question to ask you at the beginning, so I found these cards from a old 70s board game developed by a youth pastor that's called The Ungame, and so it's got a bunch of questions. I had to cycle through till I found one that wasn't about Jesus. Oh, thank you. Oh yeah, I could ask you questions about Jesus next week if you want. I know kind of a lot. Okay, well, next week, we'll test that knowledge. You want to talk about this comic book? Sure. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? Um, too many elves. Sure, in that there are some in it. There's two? Yeah. Not the fun, like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings or Elf Quest kind? No. But, like, the really shitty gun-toting kind. Yeah, the with-a-gun sort. Yeah. Identical twins, maybe? Well, clones, we see that the, there is the threat that the guy says he's going to melt them back down to their genetic material, so mm-hmm. probably something along those lines. Yeah. So I kind of fixated on, on that, but, mm-hmm. oh no, it was fine. I feel like I should have had stronger feelings about it, but I didn't. I know what you mean, sort of. I actually ended up really enjoying this comic book, and it seemed like I shouldn't have. Like, the opening segment is two things that I can't fucking stand. Elf with a gun and breaking the fourth wall. I really don't like either of those things. And being told what to do. Oh, that is true. Yeah, it starts off with a very, I don't know, the asshole at the end of this book type of thing, where it's like, turn the page! It's like, I don't want to, because you told me to, but Mm -hmm. I guess I will. For some reason, they work okay for me in conjunction. Like, I think the elf with a gun character is one that needs to be kind of meta. And I think that was the original intent of the character, was, oh, it's so weird that this has nothing to do with the comic book, it takes you out of the story. I think when you try to incorporate the character into a storyline, it doesn't work as well. And that the workaround they found for that is, okay, we'll make it very meta and have him directly address the reader. It doesn't quite work as a story, but it makes you not take the character seriously enough that it kind of cancels him out a little bit. And... I ended up being fine with it in ways that, as you may have just noticed, I have difficulty uh, explaining. Yeah, no, I can see it from that angle, but I think that the downside to that is there's there's this sort of cascading effect of now I can't take the tribunal seriously or the robots they make with the off button on the butt, all that. Right, and you do want to take a robot with an off button on the butt seriously. Well... I know what you mean, and that is generally the problem that I have with fourth wall breaking. It by its very nature, lowers the stakes because it is constantly reminding you that this is just a story and there are no real stakes. With this, I don't want there to be stakes with an elf with a gun story, so for whatever reason, I was like, eh, fine. And there was enough about the other story that I ended up really enjoying it. Or I guess other stories, because there is the brief Asgard interlude. And I am a sucker for a a putting-a-team-together story. And we get that this is kind of the first step of that. We saw at the end of the last issue, Beast came to two major conclusions. One was that he didn't really give a shit that he just ended a relationship with a rad librarian. So, fuck Beast. Mm -hmm. And B, that he wanted the Defenders to be a real team and he wanted to be the team leader. In this issue, we see him implementing that plan and being on basically a recruiting mission. Takes Iceman and Gargoyle out to meet with Wanda and the Vision. And 
It's not who I would want on my team. Beast isn't who I would want as my team leader. But I like a putting the band together story, you know? I like that. And as we've talked about many times, I like that view into the sort of domestic relationship and friendship stuff that we get among super people. Mm -hmm. And we have that. Like, they're just wanting to hang out and have a nice dinner. Sure. And I, th I thought that was really fun. And then we get the interlude that's on Asgard, where really almost nothing happens except we are reintroduced to Moondragon, who I'm always stoked to see. I like Moondragon. I think she's a really fun character. Well, we also get Odin making what is maybe an attempt at repair with Valkyrie. He's like, Sorry, I was such an asshole for a millennium. Uh, how many? Mm -hmm. A long time. Yeah. But I'm going to make it up to you by asking you for a favor. You like fighting, right? <laughs> Good news! I've got a job only you can do. God, that is not motivating to me. No. It's never been said to me, but <laughs> I, it wouldn't be motivating. I can see it being momentarily flattering and then immediately segueing into no, 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 no. Yeah. The other main thing that happens in this issue, and it may not seem like a main thing at first, is we are introduced to three new characters. Cloud, Seraph, and Harridan. They are working for an organization called the Secret Empire. Have you ever heard of any of those three characters or the organization, the Secret Empire? I don't think I had, but um, it seems like they've been around for some time. Yeah, the Secret Empire was originally in the 70s and there was a reboot of it more recently that they did bad things with as near as i can tell i didn't read that story but in the 70s one it's a really weird really interesting captain america story it's one that i've referenced to you in the past it's the storyline that ends with richard nixon committing suicide in the oval office because he was secretly a supervillain representing an organization called the Secret Empire. And this is the first time since then when we've seen the Secret Empire referenced. I think before Nixon was the number one of that organization, so here we learn that there is a different number one who is running the Secret Empire, and he has employed these three characters who really seem as though they are meant to be at least rhyming with the Greek fates, mm -hmm. the uh, Mayori, I think they're called. Mm who are very similar in some ways to the Norse Norns. I think in both groups they are spinning-related, like looms and shit, and have to do with fate, mm -hmm. determining fate. And so I think Cloud is supposed to represent Clotho, who is the youngest of the fates, who spins the threads. Then you get, in this it's Seraph, who I think is supposed to be, oh gosh, uh, begins with an L, Lachesis who measures the threads of life, and then you have Atropos, or in this case, Harridan, who cuts the threads of life. Mm. I think that the fates are really interesting as an idea, and I like that they cut across various mythologies, and you see various representations of them in very disparate pantheons. The latest kind of way they pop up, too, in popular culture, I think, is, is in uh, George R. R. Martin's universe with the religion that he created for Westeros, where there's the maiden, the mother, the crone. Oh, sure. It's like taken from... Yeah. Also a great song by The Sword, by the way. Oh. Super heavy. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm going to ask that you not look anything up about Cloud because there are some very interesting things about that character that are coming up. And I would kind of like to get your reaction to them as they happen as we read. Okay, so don't do any extra work? Yeah, I know. It's going to be very difficult for you. <laughs> Check. Yeah, I mean, we've been over it before. I know that really your main flaw, if you could call it that, is that you, you care too much. I try too hard. You try too hard. Yeah. Too much of a perfectionist. Yeah. Try to keep that in check in this one regard. Okay. Thank you. But we get the introduction to these characters. What did you think of them in this comic book? So the first impression is the cover is really striking. And also, as part of that, I was thinking, I'm surprised that the comic book's code is okay with essentially a naked woman with the little bits of mist covering the censored bits and the other woman wearing clothing which you can clearly see nipples through yeah and they don't draw anybody usually with nipples at all even without their shirts on so that was weird i think maybe the comic book code is given plausible deniability that the nipples are part of the dress in this like it's a batman type thing like batman forever <laughs> i always wondered about why built they... into the bat suit <laughs> what a weird choice very much so but yeah i think maybe that's what's going on with seraph on the cover I don't think that same costume choice is reflected inside the book, if memory serves. But Cloud's outfit is basically just... Clouds. Yeah, just clouds, mm -hmm. which looked pretty cool. It did look cool. I guess part of me was a little unnerved by, like, she's a sexualized character because she's a naked woman, but they also describe her as being 17. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I was thinking, why would they do... Is that a this will appeal to a younger audience or just canonically that's how old she is or i don't know that felt a little weird it does feel a little bit weird there were some other weird things going on in this comic book with youths and nudity in terms of Iceman. he makes a very odd choice when he is introduced to a group of children who instantly recognize beast who think that gargoyle looks super fucking rad and metal they ask Iceman, how about you are you anybody important and he not only sheds his clothes to turn into his Iceman costume, which I wouldn't notice if he didn't say anything, because I've never been sure if he turns his clothes into ice or turns his body into ice. But he says, let me get rid of these annoying clothes and I'll show you who I am. And it's like, no, don't say that to a group of children. Mm -mm. I mean, you don't see anything. He has like underpants that cover up his junkular region mm -hmm. but i guess what happens is he uses his ice powers to freeze his clothing off of his body then shatters it and then does some ice tricks and the kids are totally unimpressed by it which cracked me up but you don't need to announce that you're gonna do that no and it really does emphasize that point and it was something that i had never really considered before but you see him later in the issue Oh, now I've got a different shirt on. Well, got to freeze this off. He must go through so many articles of clothing. Expensive. I mean, he is an accountant or an accounting student, so presumably it's a tax write-off. But I learned that tax write-offs you it's... do still have to pay for. Yeah. I had it in my head that, oh, if it's a tax write-off, then they just take that money out of my taxes and it's basically free. Free car. Uh-huh. Nope. No. That was a big disappointment. Oh, man. I didn't care for that knowledge. Sorry. Wish I could expunge it from my head well, and go back to those carefree days. Before doing taxes? Yeah, I guess I've been doing them <laughs> since I was 14, so. <laughs> and I don't want to go back to being 13. Ooh. Okay, you win this round, Corey. All right. 
Iceman isn't the only character behaving potentially inappropriately in public in this comic book either. Gargoyle is reading Tropic of Cancer on the plane. Seemed like a weird choice to me. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Damateus is, I feel like, maybe dropped Henry Miller references before. He dropped an Anais Nin reference. I don't think he's dropped a Henry Miller one. But, I mean, they, they are often paired together. It kind of shows you what he's into reading on the off hours. It, it absolutely does. And it, it's not that it, I mean, Tropic Cancer is a very good book. And maybe it's just me that when I think of it, all I can think of is the dirty parts. Uh, because I read it first as a teenager and was just like, oh, yeah. Well, that's why they tried to ban it or something, right? They the successfully banned it until, oh, okay. like, from, like, when its original publication date was in the 30s. It wasn't published in the U.S. until the 60s. And then they tried to ban it, and fortunately it didn't take. But, like, it's not that he shouldn't be reading it. It just does seem like a weird book to read on an airplane around people. Like... Well, it's literature. It is. But I, I remember being on an airplane and, like, seeing multiple people at the time, because it was a very popular book, reading Fifty Shades of Grey, and just being like, it just seems inappropriate in public. Hmm. I recall being on the bus that went downtown that I took to, to high school, the city bus, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of the, the office workers would read what I imagined were romance novels, because they had these little covers mm -hmm. that you would put on them. Oh, like book covers like you would put on your textbook? Yeah, sure. but like on a big fat paperback. Oh. I was like, what is going on in there? That is intriguing. I saw it more than once. Wow. The only book that I've done that with was when we first started dating, Lisa was rereading It, the Stephen King book. Uh, and so it's got like the picture of the razor toothed clown on the cover. I hate that. I was working nights, so I would get home at like three o'clock in the morning and would like get ready to go to bed. And then I would see when she had that book flopped open on the thing and it'd be like, well, looks like I'm up for a couple more yeah, hours. Yeah. So we made a little book cover for it. I did also, when I was on a cross-country road trip, my van broke in Texas in a dry county, I might add, which I was not happy about. Mm. And I had to take the bus from Texas to Rhode Island. So I did end up taking the Greyhound through the South. And the only book I had with me, I had found in a free box right before I left on my trip, and it was the uh, height report on female sexuality. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there on the bus on the reading that. I'm getting weird looks for reading a book, period, and then that it was that book I felt very self-conscious about. So I don't have great standing to be telling Gargoyle he shouldn't be reading a piece of classical fiction. Mm -hmm. Henry Miller, for whatever else he is, is kind of a heavy hitter, literarily. Mm-hmm. It's good they, it, they changed the title to that from, uh, what was it originally? Horny in Paris? Yeah. I think. Uh, I, I believe it was uh, Two Tickets to Pound Town was the original <laughs> name of Tropic of Cancer. Because it was still about travel. Yeah. You know. Le Pound Town. I keep forgetting what a uh, polyglot you are. Yeah. That's true. You do. Sorry. It's okay. So, Harridan, the version of the crone or atropos that we get in this seems like a real dickhole yeah i think that is the reductive read that you often get on the three fates in modern western interpretations that it's oh no no the the maiden is nice the mother is fine and then the crone is evil and that is definitely what we get in this book but a side benefit i guess beast does learn that he's gonna age really well because she prematurely ages him and Iceman, and Iceman 
looks like the goddamn Crypt Keeper after, like, two seconds of this treatment. And Beast just looks like Beast, but with gray fur instead of blue fur. I don't know about the copy that you had, but in the one that I had, it seemed almost like a coloration issue because the writing describes him as, as turning white, his fur turning white. Mm -hmm. And he looked pretty normal in the in the one that I had. I think it's supposed to be a transitional phase because, yeah, in the first panel that you see of it, I think he's gray instead of blue. And then when you do see him later on after she sucked more life out of him, his fur is white, but you don't see very much of it. Mm -hmm. And it's weird to think about uh, your hair changing color as the life being sucked out of you. Yeah. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. I saw a picture of myself from just a few years ago. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I look kind of different now. <laughs> You started going gray really young, yeah. right? Like, your, yeah, your dad did really In my 20s. Young. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping it would be more localized onto my sideburns. Like J. Jonah Jameson. James. J. Jonah Jameson, Reed Richards type of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it's spread out through my beard. It's, uh, yeah, I, I don't think of it as the life being sucked out of me. And I don't think you look like you've had the life sucked out of you. You, you still look very vibrant, Corey. Why, thank you. You're welcome. <coughs> Oh, you too. Oh, thank you! <laughs> you know, you mentioned earlier your dislike of the breaking the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. And part of what I enjoyed about the way that was done was, A, the panel was drawn really cool, and B, the monitor that is telling us what's going to happen has the credits for the comic book in it, as, like, if it was a, you know, a TV show from mm -hmm. that era. And... I don't think I had seen Jim Shooter described before as tall guy with a big office. Do you think that that was like, uh, they snuck that one in to zing him? Or no. Or he allowed that? I he think wrote he, it himself. I think he was okay with that. He may have written it himself. Maybe he, he circulated a memo at some point where he's like, Hey, if you want to uh, make fun of me, you can make fun of the fact that I'm very tall and have a lot of power. Yeah. Like, I think he's fine with that. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting technique, and I agree. The art in general in this comic book, I loved. I brought up before how much I liked the art team of Don Perlin and Kim DeMolder, and that they're going to be the primary art team on the book going forward, and I think they did a great job. There are a couple of close-up panels of characters' faces that I really enjoyed, and Beast looks great. Mm-hmm. You can tell that they really enjoy drawing him in different interesting acrobatic poses, and I enjoyed seeing those. Yeah, I think the inks are great. I, I think the coloring is, is really good, too, maybe with the exception of my confusion about Beast's aging thing. Mm -hmm. Was, is it Christy Shields? Have we seen their art before? Possibly in the last issue. It's either this issue or last issue was their first issue as colorist. There was one issue that there was no credited colorist. But I agree, I think they do a really good job, and I think this art team is really solid. There are a couple of standout panels that I really enjoy, which we'll talk to when we get to that segment, but in general, very, very nicely done. Indeed. I talked about Beast doing different athletic things and being drawn in different very agile poses. One of those that we get is when he is driving the Quinjet, Kind of. Damn it, Beast! That was a double head shake, you guys. If, if you're wondering what that rare moment of silence was, it was Hub and I both making a grimace and shaking our heads. <sighs> he is reading fan mail while driving while being very distracted. 
I'm sure he has excellent reflexes, but he equates that to good driving. And it takes much more than that. That was my dad's big thing when I was growing up. He mm -hmm. was like, well, I'm a very good driver, so it's okay for me to do the crossword puzzle while I drive. And it's like, no, the fact that you are doing the crossword puzzle while you drive means that you are not a good driver, regardless of what your reflexes are. And that is what the Beast is doing. I found it very, very off-putting, especially that he has kind of press-ganged Iceman into being his co-pilot over Iceman's objections that he doesn't know what he's doing, he doesn't know how to drive this thing. He's like, oh, you'll be fine. And then Iceman isn't fine. Mm -hmm. And then he yells at him for doing a bad job, doing a thing that he never wanted to do in the first place. It'd be like if... Uh... You were to say to, uh, I don't know, 23-year-old Corey, hey, will you parallel park this moving van <laughs> for me? And I'd be like, no. And then you made me do it, and then I crashed yeah. into a tree in a car. I never did that, did I? No. You were a passive passenger <laughs> when I did a bad parallel park one time. But... Oh, man. You hit that car so many times i hit it twice it was more than twice maybe Corey. three times tops <laughs> but it was every time i could see it coming and there was nothing i could do to stop it was just the light the rear light to this day well actually no you're better now i can park and, and you don't do what you used to do which was to cover your eyes and hold your breath yeah i've really grown up and you've gotten to be a much better driver I'm pretty good i got a standing ovation a little while ago I don't know that you can get one of those for parking unless it's sarcastic. Who did you get a standing ovation from? I don't know, a bunch of people on a balcony. There was a really tiny spot, and I pulled into it like pretty quick because there was traffic coming and got it, nailed it on the first. Wow. Thing. They had been drinking a little bit, but they applauded. That's pretty impressive. It was very vindicating. Nice. What did you think of the portrayals of the Scarlet Witch and Vision in this comic book? We've seen them briefly in the comic before. They accompanied our heroes on their little trip to Parallel Universe Moon to fight over Mindy before they were over Mindy. But I felt like in that story, neither one of them actually got to do anything and they could have been any heroes. This is the first issue where we see not a ton, but a little bit of their characters in the comic. What did you think of them? I enjoyed the way that they were portrayed in this issue. It's funny, though, because I feel like I have a, a much closer connection to, I guess, the more recent portrayal of them from the, the TV show. I understand that. It's a good TV show. Yeah. But the TV show was also based, at least thematically, on a couple of miniseries that came out around this era. One right before this comic book was published, and one the year after. And both of them, to varying extents, about them settling into regular suburban life as semi-retired heroes. The first one was just a four-issue miniseries. The second one was a 12-issue maxi-series. And the second one especially revolved around them having magical children and shit. Mm. And I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting choice that was made with these characters that generally, at this era at least, if you see the focus beyond them, it is on them trying to live a normal life, a quote, normal, unquote, life, I guess, and fitting in in the suburbs. And you had mentioned that's one of your favorite things to see in a superhero comic, and you kind of see that. And they are, in this book, almost the avatars of that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And it reminded me, too, of 
like some of the way that Vision has been portrayed in, in recent X-Men movies also, where he's just into cooking, like relaxing for him. Well, I don't think he's in any X-Men movies because he's not an X-Man. I think he's, he's in, in the uh, Marvel ones. Shit, man. Am I on a comic podcast? <laughs> I should know this. <laughs> the regular guy here. What? <laughs> yeah. It is the Joe Everyman, blue collar comic book like uh, vaguely. I guess. No, that's what, that's what it said on your resume. That's why I hired you for this. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm all that and because you said that your uh, greatest flaw was that you uh, try too hard. And, and I care too much. Care too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the idea of the vision being into cooking. I think it's fun. It, it is, in some ways, almost shorthand for he is trying to embrace his humanity. Because uh, what's more human than uh, making and eating food? Wasting food. Okay, well, yes. In Who that else does we, that? as humans, are a bunch of goddamn dickholes. Yeah. Uh, great white sharks. Well, they're also they're the dickholes of the ocean. Aren't <laughs> they're they? the dickholes of the sea. And actually, when I said that, I was thinking of orcas, because orcas totally do that. And they are also, mm-hmm. you know, assholes. Yeah, big ones. Yeah. But there is this one orca whose whole thing was that uh, she was part of a pod that had had some members killed by great white sharks and she went like out for vengeance and would just hunt great white sharks and then only eat their livers it's like real jeremiah johnson yeah, shit hannibal Lecter stuff yeah it's, it's like oh man wow. orcas are fucking scary yeah no they're they're the um the humans the, of the sea <laughs> do you think that is where the face makeup of those metal guys got it because that's all black and white oh yeah probably probably they're they, just like... one guy read a story about an orca eating great white shark livers and was like this is the most metal shit mm-hmm. ever yeah i think that's where kiss got the idea too <laughs> black and white face face the cup they're they're just like yeah we'll be badass like like orcas also, I'm going to talk like this, but I'm not going to sing like this. I don't know which one I am. Probably Ace Freely, but I don't have a strong Brooklyn accent right now. Maybe he was from the Bronx. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen Kiss versus Phantom of the Park. Okay. So my theory is Ace Freely was Batman. <laughs> I guess. Where's Michael Keaton? I'm looking around. Wait, was that George Clooney? I, I was going for a more Christian Bale Batman, but, uh, you know, they're, they're all Val great. Kilmer. They're all great Batman. Except for Val Kilmer. <laughs> Good Jim Morrison, though. Huh? I guess. Your favorite. I mean, he was the best at being the worst, so I guess he was a good Jim Morrison? I don't know. Well, it takes a real genius to know. Corey, are you ready to move into the minutia? I suppose. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Cory, what category do you feel like starting off with? Let's talk about steel pie. Okay. Cory, what words in this comic did you like best, much like you would like a pie, were that pie not made out of steel? There were a lot to choose from. There were indeed is Strange and Namor are tumbling through time. Mm-hmm. There's a, a little exchange that I enjoyed. Everyone, try and stay together. The winds are shifting, combining into some kind of irresistible vortex. I don't have a Namor voice. Do your best. 
What good are your useless observations, Doctor, when we're being sucked down like four helpless children? That's a disturbing phrase. I guess taken out of context. <laughs> it's just weird, weird that when his go-to is like, okay, so we're being sucked down a vortex. Who gets sucked down a vortex? Helpless children. Wow. They're probably less strong of a swimmer than a non-helpless grown-up? Sure, and I can see where he lives underwater. Probably vortexes are more common, mm -hmm. and maybe something that children do get sucked down. Yeah, you gotta go get them out. And sure. It's a whole to-do. Okay. I had a couple that I really enjoyed, and one that just tickled me because I am a fucking child. <laughs> helpless or otherwise. Let's start with the more Uriadite entries. I really liked the introduction to the interlude on Asgard. Interlude. Move now from the heart of time to the edge of imagination, to a mythic realm where magic and mystery merge and interpenetrate, where the clangor of swords and the beating of dragon wings still echo in the night. Welcome to Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods. Ah, oh, man, then the guitars kick in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is super metal. I love that. I just thought that sounded really, really cool. I really enjoyed that. I think that is a great introduction to Asgard. And I kind of feel like every time you go to Asgard, you should be reminded that, yeah, it's like super sci-fi and super fantasy all at the same time. Nice. The other two entries were ones that just cracked me up for various reasons. On page 11, Elf with the Gun is being a fucking dick, but I did kind of enjoy it. Hulk has a guess about what's happening where they are before they figure out that these are just echoes of time that they are seeing as they are lost in the realm of time. And Elf with a Gun responds by saying, Close, Greeny, but no cigar. Still, you and the silver guy seem to be a lot brighter than the moron with a swimsuit and Spock ears. <sighs> it's a mean thing to say, but also, I kind of love that Namor is kind of stupid. To me, that was so frustrating because in a few panels previous, Namor had him by the neck and was about to squeeze the life out of him. And people were like, this guy has information we need. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Yeah. And so now he knows that and he's being an extra dick to the guy that almost killed him because he has this like safety net. Yeah. Which I appreciate, but I don't know. I feel for Namor. Yeah, I do too. And he's about to strangle him again until Hulk stops him. Mm -hmm. It is odd and i'm sure the novelty will wear off but i do kind of enjoy as a change of pace hulk being the voice of reason i think we've talked about before the similarities with hulk and namor in terms of being these like emotion driven violent guys yeah and yeah it is fun to see that kind of one of them be like no hey buddy <laughs> don't mm -hmm. do that the passage in the comic i don't think it's the best but it was the one that cracked me up the most is something that the vision says on page 16 as they are entering the fray and about to have a big old fight, the vision says, I can protect myself by willing my body to diamond hardness. And the phrase willing my body to diamond hardness is never going to not be funny to me because I am a fucking child. <laughs> I'm sure to get sucked down a vortex any second. <laughs> oh boy. But luckily, I can roll my body to diamond hardness before I get sucked down. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. All right. Sartorially speaking, Corey, which elements of fashion in this issue did you find most worthy of note? 
I had uh, two groups. One was the kids, I think, around about page six, that were spying on uh, Scarlet and Vision's house. Mm-hmm. And then also the three fates. Those were the two main ones that I had, although I did also want to make a note. We've certainly seen his outfit before, but I do think it's interesting. Elf with a gun, dressed like a Christmas elf, although now his outfit is hot pink and he is wearing like just a top as opposed to the more traditionally Christmas colored elf outfit of the original elf with a gun. No tights. No tights. But in this one, we see the second elf with a gun. He is dressed identically, which seems odd to me. It seems like either every elf with a gun should be dressed differently or they should all be the same. But to have the original elf with a gun dressed differently than the subsequent two elf with a guns, I don't know. It makes the first one seem more important in a way that I don't think he was as a character. So I don't know. It just seems like an odd choice. I hate everything about that character. That's fair. So let's talk about the two categories of character that you mentioned. The kids on page six. We know that one of them is named Alana. We know that one of them is named Raymond. I'm going to speculate that the red-haired kid is probably named Jimmy. And then there is a fourth child who I call Lucky Pierre, the French fur trader. (laughs) Because he is a little kid wearing a very, in my mind, Nordique fur trapper hat with the little pommel on the top and what looks like a full goatee and mustache. He had definitely the most distinctive outfit on them and nobody else comments on it. It is clearly the summer from the way that the other children are dressed. And as I said, he's he's wearing the toque with the little pommel. Toque. Toque? No, I'm trying to record a podcast. I really shouldn't toque right now. <laughs> That's how they say it. We'll see. Like the chef's hat? Look at that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he really does. He's got like a little goatee and a little mustache. I think that is a misprint in some way. Like that that has to be unintentional. But I think they're trying to draw him a little chubby. Okay. And and the way that you denote that is uh get give him a You sure it's toke and not toke? Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, every, really everything about him says that uh yeah, he's a fur trapper. The other kids are dressed nicely. I appreciate that Raymond is wearing a yellow and orange striped shirt with an orange 77 on it. I presume that he is probably a Portland Trailblazers fan and knows that that is the year that they won their only championship. So good on him. He's clearly the best dressed of the bunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Lucky Pierre cracked me up with his members only jacket half unzipped and his pommel hat and his little uh, facial hair. Yeah, weird. And then, yes, as you mentioned on page eight, we see the new three fates together. Cloud is wearing her clouds, just the bikini made out of clouds, basically. Mm -hmm. Seraph is wearing a kind of flowy, longer, like, pink nightie. And then Harridan is wearing the traditional black cloak. Crone wear. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's probably how you have to ask for it in the athletic department. Mm -hmm. Point me to the crone wear section. (laughs) Trying to get back into croning, and, uh, man, it's been a while. I had to have the back cloak let out a little bit. (laughs) But yeah, she's leaning on her death staff, Mm -hmm. which in this case looks just like a gnarled stump, which is odd. We do find out later that it is a high-tech device that was invented by scientists at the Secret Empire. 
good of them to go along with her branding and make it a gnarled stick for her to lean on. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about Cloud's outfit. In. Behold! Or be gone. Corey, do you want to wear an outfit that's just made out of clouds? No. No? Why? What? what it's is that? fucking what? hot out. What is and it covers upside? you up, gives you modesty, but you're, you feel like you're nude all the time, but you look like you're dressed. You don't think that would be uh, beneficial, especially in the, in the hot, hot heat? Okay, I know I'm a happy-go-lucky guy who's comfortable in his own skin and mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. I would not feel comfortable feeling naked outside of the house. Even if you were, by all appearances, clothed? In clouds? No. Okay. I'm a little bit torn because it is very hot outside. And I would like to be able to, like, I don't know, just like when I dump the coffee grounds out in the morning, I didn't have to, like, put on clothes to do that. And I knew that I was like, these fools don't know that uh, I'm in my all together while I'm wearing this cloud outfit, dumping my coffee grounds out in the yard. It's a good time. I'm uncomfortable with undue attention. And if you walk around mm. swaddled in clouds, you're going to get that. What if you formed them into like a cloud pair of overalls? I'm not saying I would necessarily wear the cloud bikini, but like... You wouldn't, you wouldn't like a nice pair of puffy overalls made out of cloud? Well, you, you would be wearing a cloud speedo. Why would I be wearing a cloud speedo? Because you don't need to cover the top. Yeah, but I would if I'm out in public. What, just the just I would a wear overalls. Just the nippular region you would cover? Oh, no, you'd go... No, I told you. I've told you several times I would wear cloud overalls. I don't know why in your mind you are insisting on putting me in a cloud speedo. It's funny, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look at him go, walking down the street. <laughs> Well, Nothing think, but a cloud speedo and a smile. It, I think it would be fine if I was wearing cloud overalls. I think that would be a pretty good look. What about your feet? You need flip-flops or something. Yeah, okay, I would probably put on some flip-flops. All right. No, that's a be-gone. Okay. I'm not doing it. It is a be-gone for me as well, although a, a, a slightly more reticent one. Just because I need pockets. You can't make a pocket out of clouds. Probably not. So... Yeah, it's a be gone, but I think it would be fun, and I would like to wear some cloud overalls. And I would like to see Cloud wear some cloud overalls. Like, just because you're dressed in clouds doesn't mean it needs to be a skimpy outfit. You're going to get a rash. Why would I get a rash? Clouds are moisture, and it's hot outside. Yeah, but the cloud is cool. The cloud is water. Yeah, but it's cold water. I'm, I'm walking around in cold water when it's hot outside. Well, enjoy walking to Walgreens to buy that antifungal cream because you're getting a rash friend no i'm not because i'm giving it a be gone but i don't think i would get a rash anyway <laughs> if you're a scientist who has ever worn a cloud pair of overalls good for you <laughs> corey every issue of a defender's comic book has a best defender and also a worst offender in this issue, who did you have as your best and who your worst? Because they were attempted to be recruited to be on the team, can we include uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch in this? Or? Absolutely. All right, I'm going to go with Vision then. As best or worst? As best, sorry. He set clear boundaries. Mm -hmm. Even when sort of pressured a little bit by his old buddy Beast, he's like, come on, you really miss heroing. He was like, fuck no, I don't. Mm -hmm. 
I'm sick of people attacking me. I just want to cook good food <laughs> and relax. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. I also had Vision as my best for the reasons that you mentioned and for the fact that he uh, kind of Tom Sawyered Beast into uh, doing his dishes for him. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm pretty sure he's got Beast doing all of the dishes that Vision has accumulated over the past week. Because, yes, they are all saying they are full. They have clearly had a large meal. When we see them carrying the dishes to the sink, there are 25 separate plates that Vision is carrying. There are five people eating. I don't care how big your meal was. Each person is not using five plates. So I think Vision, he's already said he doesn't like doing the dishes. I think he has let the dishes build up for weeks. And then it's just like, oh, we're having guests? Okay. Beast, uh, I like cooking, but I don't like doing the dishes. Didn't you want a favor from me? And Beast is like, oh, okay, no, I'll do the dishes. I, I don't mind. And it's pretty clever on the Vision's part. I like that. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, as my backup for best, I had Moondragon. This is, I like Moondragon. She didn't really do much. She sat in a chair, but she looked cool. I was glad to see her. Mm -hmm. I was also glad that when Valkyrie left in the last issue, I was worried that she was going to be gone from the Defenders comic for a while. I thought maybe whatever adventure she was going to be in would be in Thor or a different comic series, but I was happy to see her back. I was super happy to see Moondragon. Yeah. Conversely, worst offender. I had Beast. I think this is three in a row for me. I appreciated that he helped with the dishes. That's being a good guest. But the driving thing was driving me bonkers. Oh. And even the dishes is tainted by the fact that he is a very hairy man. <laughs> and he is not wearing dish gloves. And he is at some point picking up the dishes and washing them with his feet. You need to put on some gloves and maybe some toe shoes if you're going to do that shit. People are going to eat off those dishes. Yeah, one of them's a robot, but Wanda doesn't need to be eating your fucking toe fungus. Oh, so nobody needs that. No. And he also assumed that Wanda was the chef. They've just eaten the meal. He's like, wow, Wanda, you're a better cook than I thought you were. And Vision's like, um, actually, male synthesoids can cook too, you fucking misogynist. I mean, he doesn't say, he says it with his eyes. Right. So, yeah, Beast was my choice for worst. Gosh, man, it's like we are sharing the same brain. I had the Beast for exactly all of those reasons. I missed the foot dish doing one. Mm. But, yeah, I, I had the rest of it. Yeah. As my backup, I had Iceman for uh, Kid Ass Who You Are, and he's like, well, let me take off my clothes and show you who I am. Not a good move. Oof. Not a good move. I, I gotta believe they don't teach that in accounting school. No. I mean, there's no accounting for taste. But that was a tasteless move. Mm. Set it up, knocked it down. Thank you. I am the Gene Shallot of podcasting. <laughs> Corey, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? Man, there were some good ones to choose from. I think ultimately I'm going to go with the noise that it makes when you hit your head on the ceiling, which is wonk. I thought wonk was pretty fun, too. That was Vision hitting his head, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, that was pretty fun. It was like he's a policy wonk. Mm. Huh? Mm. So it would be against my policy to wonk my head on the ceiling. Good call. Yeah. I think my favorite sound effect in the issue was one that is arguably not 
a sound effect, but an extension of a bit of dialogue. But it is drawn as a sound effect, mm. and that is the noise feedback. <laughs> it's a super fun sequence with Gargoyle being a fucking badass. We've seen it a couple of times in the past few issues, and it happens infrequently enough that every time it does happen, it's like, oh shit, that's right. He is a terrifying monster of a man who is super strong. And yeah, in this, he flexes his muscles a little bit, gets pissed off. Harridan tries to suck the life out of him. And not only does he recover from it quickly, but does a little thing where she's like, but that doesn't mean I can't suck the life out of you. And he's like, did I mention I'm immortal? And she goes through this big, like, wily coyote running off of a cliff thing where she's like, but if you're immortal and I just tried to suck the life out of you, then that means that I'm going to experience feedback. And uh, it's fun. It is fun. I heard it a little bit different. We'll get into that later, but I liked. How, how did you hear? Okay, okay. Hold your horses. Would that I could. Corey, let's have ourselves a Battle of the Band Names. Oh. Corey, what band names were you able to find in the text of this comic? Ah, well... Funny you should ask. The first one is a noise band from probably Portland, Oregon. Mm. That's called Feedback. (laughs) That's not nearly enough ease. Sorry, how do you say it again? Feedback. Yeah, who wouldn't want to go see those guys? (laughs) Yeah, they sound great. They have three exclamation points and also a dash in front of the F. Mm. And they have four E's and two K's. Sounds like a pretty good band. If that's your cup of tea. Oh, it is not. Hmm. I do not like noise music. <sighs> what? For something to be music, like, what are the constituent? What are the qualities it needs to have? Hmm. Because I don't know that the noise music I've heard has that. I mean, look, I think for a series of noises to call itself music, all it needs to do to be music is to call itself music. It's like with art. Like, you can debate, oh, is this art? Is this not art? If it says it's art, it's fucking art. You can debate whether it's good art or bad art. The same thing with music. You can debate whether it's good music or bad music or music you like, music you don't like. But it's all fucking music, because what else would it be? Well, it only, I don't know, exists in the popular consciousness if you can describe it to other people, right? Yeah. Like, you can be like, oh, I went to see this exhibit, and there was, like, a nail hanging on a string, and they called it art, and I was mad. Yeah. Okay. But it's still art. I went to see the show the other day, and here's what it sounded like. Like, you can't yeah. describe it. You just did. That's true. I'm not, I, I'm I not great with words. I, it's, I am a little extra touchy on the subject of, is this music, is this not music? Because I think we are both of an age where we have had to explain to older people that, yes, rap music is music, whether you recognize it as such or not. Oh, that happened to me a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. To appear in age. Did they start it off by explaining to you that they were not racist? No. But oh, I feel like well, it that's was convenient. I mean, <laughs> subtext. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, I don't like noise music, but if 
anybody considers it music, then it's music. Mm. You can put the more you know music. I mean, is the more you know music even music? <laughs> My first band name is the uh, Pixie Dust Brained Cretans. Whoa! It's a punk band, because of course it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that Elf with a Gun says. It's a little bit long. I think I might actually shorten that to the Dust Brained Cretans. I think that sounds like a pretty solid punk band. Oh, yeah. It's not the only punk band that I've got. My other punk band is the Bloodthirsty Idiots. And I think they might share a bill occasionally with the Dust Brained Cretans. But uh, I think those are both some pretty solid punk bands. Bloodthirsty Idiots. Uh-huh. Dust Brained Cretans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're on the same bill. Mm-hmm. For sure. You have any other band names? Yeah, different uh, neck of the woods musically entirely. These two probably also have been on the same bill. I want to say they're both, I don't know, maybe a duo, but like a, a small, maybe a trio, small number of people, very melodic, kind of dreamy. And uh, one is The Sweetest Defeat. Oh. Maybe they sing about romance and things. And the other one is a little more out there, and they're Sea of Surreality. Oh. Yeah, probably a little more in a psychedelic territory. A lot of delays and reverbs and whatnot. Pretty good band names. Mm. Sea of Surreality. Yeah, man. Oh, man. <laughs> if you better listen to those guys, you better figure out what the bong sound is first. <laughs> My final band name is a pretty straight-ahead metal band. I think they might be larger than most metal bands which you get a lot of power trios with metal i think these guys are maybe more like an octet i think they're like ska band sized Whoa. metal band called death staff and uh they just have a lot of t-shirts that still say staff on the back that they got from various events mm-hmm. and they just wrote the word death in front of it but yeah i think they're a pretty straight ahead possibly possibly norwegian death metal but uh definitely a metal band so octet, so you get a drummer, a bass player, and then, I don't know, six guys that play guitar? Yes. Oh. And they're all lead guitar. Oh, that's uh, so bad. Sorry, that's Death Staff. You gonna argue with them? Nope. Me neither. So, Corey, which of those names do you think is the best name? Oh, boy. There's a lot of good choices. I'm gonna go with, uh, was it Dust Brained? Cretans. Cretans. Dust Brained Cretans. I like, I like the sound of that one. I do, too. Gosh. Yeah, I like the Bloodthirsty Idiots, too, but that sounds a little bit too close to Dirty Rotten Idiots, the DRI. Mm. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think Dust-Brained Cretans is a, is, is a pretty solid punk band choice. Yeah. Man, I saw DBC with DRI back in the day at CBGB's. <laughs> it was amazing. Well played. Thank you. Corey, what was your favorite panel this issue? both discussed the fact that we liked the art in this but what was the best of that pretty good art so you mentioned the uh can you say feedback again feedback yeah so that panel (laughs) where gargi is blasting his enemy Uh uh-huh with that feedback that one is pretty good for that sequence i actually prefer a previous panel which is the close-up of gargoyle getting mad he's kind of hulking out it looks like It's really nicely drawn, and as I mentioned, we don't often get to see Gargoyle looking that intimidating. Like, despite the fact that he has a very ferocious appearance, he generally undercuts that with his 
elderliness and folksy charm. But his Henry Miller references. And his Henry Miller references, which are unsettling, but in a different way than his appearance. <laughs> but yeah, look at that, man. That's some just badass fucking He-Man looking metal shit. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he's saying, me, for instance. And the look on, um, on the Fates' faces, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, we done fucked up. Yep. And then, yeah, he goes on to prove that they done fucked up by giving them a little bit of feedback. <laughs> I think that was probably my favorite panel. I also liked on page five, it's a sequence that we've referenced, but uh, I call it Bobby's Bad Road Trip. Um, <laughs> where you see Gargoyle in the backseat reading Henry Miller holding the book perhaps uh, conveniently placed over his crotch, mm. covering up that portion of his bondage gear that he wears all the time. Yeah. And then you have uh, Beast driving with one hand while he reads fan mail with one foot and one hand and not paying attention, and then yelling at Bobby for not doing a good job driving a plane that he has said repeatedly he doesn't know how to drive. That's why you're the worst, Beast. Uh-huh. It is why he is the worst, but... It, it is a really cool pose that he's doing with uh, driving while reading two separate pieces of mail. And uh, just, yeah, that cockpit scene is pretty cool looking. Yeah. I really liked on page 22 the series of incredibly surprised profiles that we saw from the Defenders. I really enjoyed that as well. They are looking at the havoc that they have apparently wreaked on the 24th century seems kind of optimistic to think that it's going to take that long to turn the Earth into the place with all the stalactites that Raven likes to hang out, but uh, they still feel bad about their role in that. And yeah, the look of shock on all of their faces, it's a close-up. It is very heavily inked, looks kind of reminiscent to like some Mike Mignola-style art, and it is very, very cool-looking. It is, and it's got these like streaks in it that indicate that they're coming out of this time vortex thing and also the stature of hulk is just it reminds you how freaking huge he is compared to his his buddies yeah steve may have the biggest metaphoric head but hulk has the largest physical head by far oh yeah my other favorite panel is on page eight and it is a close-up of harridan and uh i call it ec looking harridan because in that panel she looks very much like the old witch from the old ec comics who used to be one of the hosts of those horror anthologies, like The Crypt Keeper, or I think there was like a Vault Master or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's really cool looking. Well, Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. But in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Yeah, so I don't normally get super personal on this segment. Because I I realize these are supposed to be sort of blanket rules that are good for anybody. Mm -hmm. But the Hulk really took a page from Vision's stance on things in this issue, which is, it is just way better to cook than to clean. Mm. If somebody gives me that choice any day, no matter how shitty the ingredients are or what I have to cook with, I'm going to take the cook and not the clean. Yeah, I think that is a solid and reasonable stance to take. Well noted. Thank you. I had the Hulk's rule being one that is also very specific to this book. And that is, if someone asks you who you are, 
disrobing should not be part of your answer. That is a lesson that the Hulk learned from Iceman, and it's also just one that I feel is generally intuitive, um, but apparently not. So, uh, yeah, just uh, don't be an Iceman. If somebody says, who are you, maybe leave your clothes on. Or always leave your clothes on. Sometimes you can take your clothes off, like if you're taking a shower or if you're with a special friend. No, 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 no. In response to that question. Ah, yeah, in response uh, to that always question. Always leave your clothes on in response to that question. What if you've got, like, a birthmark that shows that you're, like, the king of England? Um, That's how they choose a king, right? No, it's... Really? Hereditary, right? Oh. I thought it was all done with birthmarks these days. I thought that was how, uh, <laughs> how royalty works, no? You can fake that, though. You can fake heredity, too. Like, they ask you to take your king test, and you're like, hey, Philip, I know, I know this guy is a king. Uh, get some of your pee. And, uh, you know, there's a whole market for that, probably. So that's why they got to do birthmarks. So if somebody's like, who are you? And then you're like, well, I got a, I got a birthmark shaped like oppression on my butt. Then uh, that's how you prove you're a king. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so that's the exception? That I guess that would be the, the exception rule. that proves... Yeah. If you have... A birthmark showing that you are royalty than a partial disrobing could be. Although, you know what? You're more than just your kingdom. You're still a person. Somebody asks who you are. You're, you're more than just heir to the throne. You're a person with, with wants and cares and dreams. Mm-hmm. Why not tell them about that? I want to control all the spice routes. That's what kings wanted, right? Yeah, they probably want to control all the spice routes. Fucking kings. Jerks. I'm tired of their shit. Yeah. We should burn them. Which ones? Yeah, I don't know, all the kings. How many kings we got? I don't know, I don't have any. No gods, no kings? No horse, no mustache? No horse, no mustache? Wasn't that part, wasn't that a thing? No gods, no horses, no mustaches? No birds. Add that to the list. Oh. So no kings? Okay, what don't we have? Kings. what, What don't we want? And when don't we want it? Now. <laughs> so, no kings, uh-huh. no gods, uh-huh. no birds. Uh, or no birds up close. Okay. They can stay away. But yeah. We, we need them for, you know, ecosystem stuff. Mm, do we, though? Supposedly. We'll see. We've done good work here, Corey. Thank you. And as such, I have just one more question I've got to ask you. Mm. In the year of our Lord, 1983, and the month of our Lord, September, what Wong doings was Wong doing? In September of 1983, a potential catastrophe was averted. Oh, that's good news. Yeah. A uh, Soviet military officer, Stanislav Petrov, was monitoring the radar system that said whether or not missiles were coming in from the U.S. And uh, he saw some blips on the radar and was like, oh, fuck. Like, this was the height of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, oh, fuck. Things are going to... My Russian's not good, so... I'm... Why don't you do it in your uh, in one of your signature brilliant accents? Okay, so Russian accent, he was like, oh, fuck, things aren't going good. Should I notify the higher-ups? Which would have, you know caused a chain reaction and potentially Mm -hmm. a a mutually assured destruction situation, which would have been awful. Suddenly, Steve Strange pops into his head and is like, look, Anton, 
Is that your name? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> nothing to worry about. I was just messing about with the clouds. Call it good. And uh, so he went back to his superiors and was like, hey, there's a bug in our radar. And so it turns out that, indeed, there was a bug in the radar that made it look like a single missile was headed from the U.S. to the USSR. He fortunately, thank goodness, had the foresight to be like, uh, if the U.S. was going to attack us, they'd probably send a bunch of missiles at once, so it was probably a bug, and didn't report it up the chain until a little bit later. A lot of people think he prevented the nuclear annihilation of our nations. That's a good time. Where Wong fits into this is uh, Steve was messing about with the clouds, trying to get some light onto his Jamaican incense on the top of their, their brownstone, right? Uh-huh. And, uh, he was showing Wong the star charts. He's like, Wong, I just don't get it. And he's like, Steve, that's, you got it. You did your math wrong, man. This is over, over Russia. Oh, dear. Seems like, oh, well, and wandered off. And Wong fortunately had the foresight to be like, we're in the middle of the Cold War. If this gets misconstrued in any way, things could go badly. And it turns out that was, in fact, what had uh, caused that misreading in their radar was sun reflecting off a cloud, reflecting off a satellite and that sort of thing. Wong chased Steve downstairs and said, hey, Steve, you got to do something about this. So he did his projection into Soviet military guy's head and said, don't worry about it. So good on Wong. Good on Wong indeed. Thanks for uh, saving us from nuclear annihilation, buddy. Mm -hmm. That may be one thing that Wong was up to. Wasn't the only thing that Wong was up to. The other thing that Wong was up to was chilling Steve the fuck out. Something that Wong has to do a fair amount of. Steve was understandably a little bit amped up. He knew he was going to have to be uh, facing some kind of a showdown with a tremendous cosmic force. We had seen him meditating in the previous issue, and doing real meditating, not just when he says he's going to be meditating and then just watching Flame Ghost fuck on the mystical internet. Mm. We saw he was doing some actual meditating, and that is because his uh, sources, cosmic and otherwise, indicate that the Defenders were going to be up against something very powerful, which we see borne out in this issue. And in preparation for that, Steve was harnessing all of his forces. He was calling on, we've seen him do this many times before, but all of the strange and eldritch forces at his disposal. He's calling on the Vashanti. He's calling on the hoary hosts of Hogoth. He's calling on Yogg-Sagoth. Ah, we've seen him uh, summon the forces of Satanish and Dormammu before, uh, when they're properly harnessed. The Crimson Bands of Sidorak, all of these forces. He's thinking, too, but you know, I'm having difficulty summoning these other forces. They're one of the more popular forces we've seen lately. The Knights in Satanish's Service. And, and Wong thinks for a second, he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Steve. Are you trying to summon the forces of Kiss? And Steve's like, Yes, I've seen them on the television. They're demons quite clearly. I should be able to summon their powers. That's how I get a lot of my powers, is by summoning demonic forces and harnessing them to my will. But for some reason, these, uh, Kiss fellows seem strangely resistant. And Wong's like, It's because they're just guys, Steve. They don't have magic powers. And Steve's like, I've seen a little film called Kiss vs. the Phantom of the Park, and I believe they have some magical powers, Wong. And so Wong was like, no, you know what? They're going to be appearing on television tonight. Why don't we tune in, and you'll see. So on September 18th, Kiss was scheduled to give a concert on MTV. 
and Wong pulled some strings beforehand and had them appear for the first time on television without their signature makeup. So Steve tuned in and was like, Oh, oh, I see. These are just ugly men. (laughs) Oh, dear, I don't need help summoning that power. Thank you, Wong. I do like this song, Lick It Up, though. Uh, It's got a catchy beat and a good message. Wong, let's make this my new ringtone. And Wong had to explain to him that ringtones weren't a thing yet and wouldn't be for many decades. And that is the Wong doings that Wong was doing in September of 1983. So many. Busy man. Corey, thanks so much for joining me. I had a great time talking about this comic book with you. We will be back next week to talk some uh, new Titans. Mm-hmm. That should be a fun time. Oh, yeah. In the meantime, if you guys would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Titan Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. We did receive another special card for a special boy's birthday that's coming up in our mailbox. That special boy, I don't know if you can see, I was punching Corey's arm because mm-hmm. he's a special birthday boy who's got a special day coming up. Thank you. But yeah, we got a card for you from a listener. We'll open up that on your birthday. And uh, I'm going to add my name to it because it's for me too. Okay. That's very thoughtful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. As this is the future, we can also be reached electronically. Can you imagine such a thing? At ttwasteland at gmail.com. We're also up on the internet from time to time. So you can look for us there. But if you're taking a little break from the internet, which would be understandable, there's one more place you can look, and that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Oh, gosh. I'm going to be, as carefully as possible, hooking up a two-hose air conditioner you're to the sp- walls of your heart. You're springing for the second hose? I think i got to go, go two-hose, because it's getting hot here. It's especially hot in people's hearts, because they got so much love in there. I know. So, yeah, I'm going to crank up that AC, and I don't know, keep watching Moon Knight. Nice. Yeah. This is a good movie. Eat good. some snacks. It's a good show. Yeah. I'm going to be reading. I just got a new book. It's about the pro wrestler, the Sheik. Not the Iron Sheik. This is his predecessor. Oh. Very important figure in the territorial days of pro wrestling. I got a biography off of him. Very much looking forward to. Nice. So I'm going to be checking that out. Chilling in the AC that you've set up and uh, having a good time. Maybe having another one of these... Uh, Beers that's got some pineapple juice and tequila in it. You guys, it's way better than it sounds. And it sounds pretty good. Eh. If you got some Tecate, you got some pineapple juice, you got some tequila, why not mix them all together? And then you can be as articulate as we are. (laughs) Sorry. lucky ducks. (laughs) It is a strong drink. It's pretty much equal parts tequila, (laughs) beer, and pineapple juice. If you would like to support the show financially, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. There's a whole bunch of stuff up there. Just uh, poke around, find what you like, and enjoy yourself. It's all there as a thank you for supporting the show and making it possible for us to keep making episodes. So, thanks. Mm. If you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, Corey, how can people do that? Can it even be done? It can be done, and it is easy. How easy is it? It is so easy. All you have to do is talk to somebody. Oh. You said it was easy. I know. I got to talk to somebody? Well, you can just go outside and talk and somebody will probably hear it. No, don't do that either. That's bad. 
Find somebody that you would normally like to talk to. Again, you said this was easy. <sighs> tell somebody you like the show. That's yeah. all there is to it. You can tell it on the internet. Just put it out there as a general statement. That, and then you don't have to talk to anybody. There you go. You could leave a review. Just say five stars. This is easier than talking to people. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Those both sound like great suggestions. You can also talk to people. There are probably people you like to talk to. You probably have a rich social life filled with loved ones and friends, sycophants. You don't even have to like the person. If, if, if you've got a sycophant who's always like, oh, I think you're so great, and you're like, God, get off of my tip, buddy, then you could be like, hey, tell you what. Uh, why, why don't you go listen to the show instead? We got Give me something to do. Leave me alone. Five years worth of podcasts. You won't hear from that person for a long time. You know what? We have almost enough episodes that you could listen to one episode a day for an entire year. That's a year's supply of podcasts. Now, some people would say that a year's supply of this podcast would be two episodes. <laughs> but those people would be assholes. So if you know those people, just... You know, shove them down. Push them to the ground. Stop. What? It's not good. Why is it not good? Oh. What? You can't push people. Well, I know, but our listeners can. <laughs> They're very powerful. Guys, Christ. don't push people. It's not nice. Okay, don't push people down to the ground. But you can... Suggest they sit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You go sit on the sidewalk. Tell them to go sit in the corner and think about what they have done or haven't done. Listen to our show and why it's wrong. So, yeah, just, you know, reprimand, you know, punish, uh, nag, berate, uh, do all of these things. And then people will love our show. I'm kind of losing the thread. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, push people down. No, we already went over that. Corey, I can't think of a single way to <laughs> reprimand. Corey, I can't think of Corey, I can't think of a single way to recommend our show that doesn't involve either physical or emotional violence. There's got to be some, right? Yeah. Well, why don't you figure out what they are and then do that? <laughs> Thanks so much, Lester. I'm sorry to put all this uh, work onto you, but uh, well, tequila. Yeah. What can you do? Goodbye. Bye. Bum, bum, bum. No, that's the Windows. Sound. Yeah, yeah. Or not the Apple sound. Bum, 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 bum. Intel sound. Ooh. You're the one who works at Intel. I don't remember what the bong sounds like. That's what they call it, you know. Oh, the bong sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> nice, the cough meets its work. <laughs> I'm, you're much better at that than me. Do it again. <laughs> that was better. Yeah, just, just yeah, make it like a, like a... <laughs> Coolest motorcycle, tiny motorcycle ever. <laughs> yeah, well, it's got a siren. Yeah. <laughs> 
you get bonus points for your eyebrow. I do. Movement. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. I was hoping for it. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready? Sure. Mm-hmm. 